several years ago, there was a, a movie came out that was titled Failure to Launch. And it was about a young man, he was 35 years old, and his parents were ready for him to move on. And so they hired a young lady, interestingly enough, her name was Paula, to, um, to work to help him to move on. I suppose they were ready themselves to be empty nesters. And as long as their 35-year-old son was enjoying life and living at home and not in any hurry to, um, to move on, they knew that wasn't going to happen. So for whatever reason, they considered that there was this failure to launch uh, in where he was at. I'm not going to talk about that movie, but I'm going to talk about something that took place during the first century in one of the New Testament churches about which we read, and that phrase, failure to launch, really describes the situation that existed in that church. It was the church at Corinth. And if you'll open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we'll take a moment to look at several statements made here by Paul, but the key statement is in verse 1 of chapter 3, and that statement is, I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. Now, what's so amazing to me about this description of the church at Corinth is that there was no New Testament church about which we read in the Bible that exceeded the church at Corinth in terms of their miraculous gifts. It was a church that was blessed with miraculous gifts. They could speak in tongues. They could perform miracles. They had the gift of faith. They had the gift of knowledge. And yet they had a lot of problems. There were a lot of issues in that church. And in a very real sense, what was taking place in the church describes what takes place often in our lives. And that is, there is this failure to launch. We have all these gifts. We have all these blessings. God has done everything within his power to make it possible for us to be effective servants of his. He has laid it all out before us. But for one reason or another, there just seems to be this, this failure to launch, this failure to get it going. Do you ever feel like that in your life? that you know there's so much more that you're capable of doing, capable of becoming, and yet you just, you just, you've hit this wall. You're at this sticking point in your life, and you can't seem to move beyond it. Again, I think that describes the church at, at Corinth, because he said, he said, you're just infants. I can't speak to you as spiritual men. Now, you go back in the preceding chapter, and he draws this contrast in verse 14 between the natural man who does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised, but he who is spiritual, there's the spiritual man, he appraises, he values the revelation of God. And that's what he's writing about in that, that second chapter, how God has made his will known. Well, the spiritual man values 
that revelation. He values what God has put in front of him, and he embraces it. He hungers and thirsts for righteousness, and he is capable, based upon those desires, to launch. But here is the natural man. It's the man that Paul describes as one of flesh in verse 1. It is the infant in Christ. And then in verse 2 he states, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Think about a child. A child can only take milk. At some point, though, that child must grow up and reach a point at which the child is able to receive food. Indeed, even now, he writes, you're not yet able, for you are still fleshly. You're still that man who is marching to the beat of the world's drum. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? That was the manifestation of the problem that existed within that church. But as we understand that churches are comprised of individuals, we have to remind ourselves that the problem that described the church was really one that was a problem among the members. They were not launching in life. I think we need to recognize that this is a, a common issue. It, it's not uncommon. I think what happens sometimes is that we, we obey the gospel, we become Christians, and, and maybe there's such an emphasis and a focus upon that that we think that's all there is. We've been saved. We've been redeemed. We've been sanctified. We've been set apart. All these wonderful things that the Bible says about us, which gives us perhaps some elevated sense of where we're at spiritually, and we never move beyond that point. We never move beyond that, that stage of infancy. You see this in the letter of Hebrews, which interestingly enough is written to Jewish Christians who were growing weak in their faith. A failure to launch can have disastrous consequences. If it remained unchecked in the church at Corinth, it was going to continue to produce division and all sorts of problems. Well, then the lives of these Jewish Christians who were becoming weak in their faith, if they failed to launch spiritually, and you can see this in the book of Hebrews, they would eventually lose their souls. And you'll notice in verse, five, uh, verse 11 of chapter 5, he writes about Melchizedek, and then he says in verse 12, for, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. You know, we want to take that out of our Bibles. I'm uncomfortable with that. I don't want to be a teacher. Let's, let's leave that to the teachers. Let's leave that to the people who want to be teachers. And as I've often said, this is not a teacher's workshop in Hebrews uh, chapter 5. This is not a teacher conference. He's just writing to Christians. And he tells them, you haven't launched. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come, look at it, you have come to need milk and not solid food. Can you imagine, let's go back to the movie, can you imagine a 35-year-old with a sippy cup in his mouth, sucking on a bottle, <laughs> sitting there in a diaper? What would you think of that person? 
You would think, this, this guy has, a, has an issue. He's got a problem. <laughs> what does God think when he looks at us? And we've been Christians for years, and we still can't take the solid food. We're still just sipping milk from the biblical sippy cup. Everyone, verse 13, who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. That's really an insult, isn't it? It's a description of the one who has failed to launch. We see examples, some that are quite severe in the New Testament, as we, for example, go to the book of Acts. Two that come to mind are Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5 of the book of Acts. Worst examples of disciples. I don't know that I can think of any worse example of disciples in the New Testament because of their legacy. It wasn't so much their, their sin. I, th I think the sin was, was common. However, this was the beginning of the New Testament era. And so God made an example of them. And he, he put them to death because they lied. But why did they do it? Well, if you look at the fourth chapter, at the end of the fourth chapter of the book of Acts, you read about a man named Barnabas. And you see in verse 37, he owned a tract of land. He sold it and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, what they would do with that money, that was their treasury. And disciples would sell land. They would bring the proceeds. They'd put it into the treasury. And then they would use that money to help the needy among them. Barnabas did a good thing. Ananias and Sapphira, they're watching. They, they see how Barnabas... His name was changed. It was originally Joseph, and the apostles changed it to Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. His example was commendable. Well, we want to be like Barnabas. So in chapter 5 and verse 1, a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. Everything's good. But then they kept back some of the price. He kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, what we're going to see here is that that was okay. God didn't expect him to sell the, the land for $10,000 and give $10,000. He could give whatever he wanted to give as long as he was giving from a cheerful heart. But he, he sells it for $10,000. He gives $5,000. He says, hey, I sold my land for $5,000. Here, I'm going to give it all to you. No, you sold it for $10,000. You, you kept back $5,000. Nobody would ever know, would they? <laughs> well, it just so happens that, that God does see everything. And we see in verse 3 that Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? Satan is described in the scriptures as being the father of lies. Whenever we lie <laughs> consistently and habitually, then we are following that father. We are following our father, Satan. That was their issue. Verse 4, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? You didn't even have to sell it. And after it was sold, was it not under your control? You didn't have to give everything. You didn't have to give anything. Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men but to God. Well, it was pride. It was envy. It was jealousy. 
And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and he breathed his last, and great fear came over all who heard of it. The young men got up, covered him up, carried him out, and they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in. This was her opportunity. This was her opportunity to come clean, not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. Did you sell the land for 5000 Yeah, that's exactly what we sold it for. And we gave you everything. No, you didn't sell it for 5000 You sold it for 10000 Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, why is it that you have agreed together, together to put the spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last, and the young men came in and found her dead, and they carried her out, and they buried her beside her husband. What do you think they put on the tombstone? Here lies two liars. Well, that's a play on words, isn't it? Here lies two liars. <laughs> they failed to launch. They failed to get beyond this, this worldliness and this spirit of jealousy and arrogance and envy that destroyed them spiritually. Another example is in the 8th chapter of the book of Acts. We read about Philip, who was an evangelist, who went to Samaria. He preached the gospel. There were many there who responded favorably to the gospel. But there was also a man by the name of Simon. We read about him in verse 9. He formerly was practicing magic in the city. And he was astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. Now, what type of person was this? A person whose heart was filled with pride and arrogance. He's a magician, looks good. It's just sleight of hand, though. No, no power there, just sleight of hand, just illusion. He was the David Copperfield of, of his day, and he was telling everybody, I'm someone great. And they all, verse 10, from smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. Now, you hear that long enough, you'll start believing it. And they were giving attention to him because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. And here's the good part about Simon. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip as he observed signs and great miracles taking place he was constantly amazed. Now, we're about to see the failure to launch in Simon's life. It's good. He's repented of his sins. He's obeyed the gospel. He's been baptized. He's been forgiven of his sins. He has a world of spiritual opportunity now ahead of him. But remember who he was. This is the great power of God. This is the great Houdini. You know, everybody's amazed at, at his ability to, to perform these magical acts. It's going to take a little bit of time to get that pride and that envy and that, that arrogance out of his heart, and that's understandable. But you'll notice in verse 18 of this same chapter, when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands. Now remember, this was the miraculous endowment of the Holy Spirit 
the apostles would lay their hands on certain persons, and now those persons have the ability to perform miracles. Ah, Simon says, I'd like to be able to do that. Maybe there's, a, maybe there's some way that I can regain my prominence in the community if I can just get that. So he offered them money saying, give this opportunity to me as well so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Same Peter who, who had to address Ananias and Sapphira. You know, he was, Peter was kind of the church's hatchet guy. He had to deal with all the problems and now he's dealing with another one. He said, you have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. Boy, I tell you what, Peter didn't go to the Dale Carnegie School on how to win friends and influence people, did he? He didn't exactly mince words with Simon. And again, I understand there's a place for that, but there's also a place for these harsh words. Simon failed to launch. He did, however, in verse 24, pray to the Lord for me yourselves so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. We don't know the rest of the story. But these are just two examples of how this this problem is a common issue among disciples. And it's really a matter of the heart. When we say failure to launch, we're talking about growing. You know, we get the rocket up to the pad, we do everything we can, we're ready to launch, and then it just sits there. Well, we want to grow, and the reason as individual Christians we don't grow is because, and I know you hear this a lot, it's because we have a heart problem. In, in Matthew chapter 13, when Jesus told his disciples the, the parable of the sower, this is a, a great example of teaching that addresses this issue. Think about the ones in whose heart the seed of the gospel was planted and about the various responses to that seed. You'll see multiple failures to launch. Jesus describing the parable in verse 18 states, here then the parable of the sower, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. Now that sounds a little harsh. I mean, let's give this, let's give this guy a break. I mean, not everybody understands the gospel the first time they hear it. Well, if we go back up in this same chapter in the preceding verses, we see what this issue of failing to understand really was. Go back up in verse 14, the latter part, he's quoting from the, uh, the prophet Isaiah, you will keep on hearing but will not understand. You will keep on seeing but will not perceive. Why? Why did they not understand? For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes, 
hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return, and I would heal them. The problem is not with God. The problem was with their heart. You see, they, they, they heard the word. They were on the launching pad. They were ready, ready to take off because of this dull heart, a heart that had been dulled by wallowing in the mire of the world's wisdom, carnality. They were not spiritual men. They were natural men. They were fleshly. And for that reason, they couldn't understand. They didn't value the gospel. In verse 20, the one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. He didn't sign up for persecution. He didn't sign up for affliction. He signed up for the social gospel. He signed up for the feel-good gospel. He signed up for the gospel that says, you're going to be rich now that you're a Christian. Everything in your life is going to be perfect now that you've obeyed the gospel. And yet when life happens and the road gets a little bumpy and he's being persecuted because of the word, he fails to launch. He falls away. Verse 22, the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. What was his heart problem? Why did he fail to launch? He just couldn't separate himself from the world. He was worried about inflation. He was worried about the price of gas. He was worried about the war in Ukraine. He was worried about the political environment. He was worried about, about everything that pertained to his physical well, well-being. And, and, and the deceitfulness of wealth, thinking that if he could just have more and then getting more and doing those things that he had to do to get more, he's going to sacrifice his spiritual life. He's not going to take the time to study God's word. He's not going to take the time to assemble with God's people and to worship God in a corporate setting. He's not concerned about that. And as a result, the word becomes unfruitful. To launch. Chapter 5, when Jesus was teaching and preparing his disciples for kingdom living, he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. If you have failed to launch, your heart problem is you're just not hungry enough. You're just not hungry enough. Why do athletic teams excel? Why do they win against all odds? Why does the person who in, in, in everybody's book cannot be the great athlete he becomes, why does he do that? It's because he, he hungers and he thirsts. He has the eye of the tiger. It's another, another great movie, Rocky. He has the eye of the tiger. He's hungry. He's hungry and he's thirsty. But when he loses that hunger and that thirst, he's going to stop growing. He's going to stop. He's going to stop moving forward. 
in verse 41 of this same chapter, Jesus said, whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. It's going the extra mile. What does God expect of me? How much time does, does God want? Well, if I can answer that question, which I may not even be able to, if I can, do I have the mindset that I want to go the extra mile? You know, God wants to know how much you want it. He wants to know how much I want it. And he really answers the question, how much must we give through his son Jesus when Jesus was asked the question, what is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said in Matthew 22 and verse 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. This is a summary of everything that the scriptures teach. Do you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind? That's another way of describing the person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Your neighbor who is created in the image of God? Are you willing to sacrifice of your time to help that person like the Good Samaritan did? Well, there's hungering and thirsting after righteousness. That's the desire that, that moves one in the direction of, of becoming and being like God. The heart that is described in Psalm chapter 42 and verse 1 is the heart that's going to move beyond being that infant or that babe in Christ. It's going to, that's going to launch and become all that God created them to be. In Psalm chapter 42 and verse 1, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. Does that describe me? Does that describe you? In all of this, there is something here to remember. And that is our adversary wants fleshly Christians. What makes Satan happier? I don't know that I can answer that question. Is it the person who never obeys the gospel? Or is it the person who obeys the gospel and then never launches? You see, the person who never obeys the gospel is never in a position to be that negative influence, to influence others to become weak in their faith. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we'll go back to the first chapter of that letter. Remember, chapter 3 is where we began in describing the infants in Christ. And in verse 10, I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, that there are quarrels among you. That was the, the source of their quarrels was their carnality. The source of their division was their carnality. 
Now, why would Satan want that? Why would Satan want in a congregation there to be Christians who were failing to launch because it is those Christians that can become the source of division. And what did Jesus say? It wasn't Abraham Lincoln who first said this. What did Jesus say about a divided house? Matthew 12 and verse 25, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And any city or house divided against itself will not stand. That's what Satan wants. He doesn't want local churches comprised of spiritual men and women who are launching and becoming spiritually minded and growing spiritually. He wants congregations filled with worldly people because now he's got that church. He's got that church in the grips of his hands. Jesus said in this same chapter in verse 30, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Well, the one who is not on the same page with Jesus is the one who is scattering, who is causing these issues in the local church, and that's what Satan wants. Satan was happy with the situation at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, look at this. Here is a church, and Paul writes in chapter 5 and verse 1, it is actually reported that there is immorality among you, and immorality of such a kind is de does not exist even among the Gentiles. That someone has his father's wife. Now it gets worse. So how can it get worse? How can it get worse than that? Well, look at verse 2. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. This is what you call making a bad situation worse. It's bad enough that you've got someone acting within the local church that is even worse than the people out here who have no religious affiliation whatsoever. But what's worse, you're tolerating it. Your toleration is encouraging it. Your acceptance, you're sweeping it under the rug is exactly what Satan wants to do. He wants divided churches, and he wants churches that just take in the world and become just like the world. Paul didn't feel that way. In verse 5, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. He then states in verse 6, your boasting is not good. You think, you think this is a good thing. This is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump. You see, if you accept it, in the life of one, you'll accept it in the life of another. And now here's a similar situation. Well, if we could do it in the life of Jim and Billy Bob, then we can do it in the life of the next person. And then it can just get worse and worse and worse. And pretty soon, what do you have? You truly have the people's church. No, you have the devil's church because everybody's following 
and marching to the beat of the world's drum. Chapter 3, verse 16, where does this lead? Chapter 3 and verse 16, do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. And he's describing the local church. You're the temple of God. You're destroying the temple by your wilderness, by your carnality, by your acceptance of, of sin in, in your midst, and just saying, this is okay. We're going to be the loving church. We're not going to be the tough loving church. We're going to be the permissive church that just lets whatever will be, will be. Well, James had a comment about that, and we'll close with this. Remember what Paul wrote about the situation at Corinth and how there was jealousy among them, and that was a, a symptom of their carnality? He says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural. Remember the natural man of 1 Corinthians chapter 2? It is natural. It is demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. And that's what Satan wants in our local churches. And that's what Satan wants in our lives. He wants Christians who are in this position of failure to launch. Let's not let that be us. Let's go to God now in prayer.